sure that was our shortest ever cold open. It just hit me the right way. I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. It's March 23rd, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. Share, subscribe, tap that notification bell if you have not. And I have to be totally honest with you guys. This is a pre-tape. It appears that I'm live to you, but actually right now I am on a plane en route to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I've got a gig at University of Wisconsin tonight. I'm gonna try to get to Lambeau Field this afternoon. We will see what happens. Uh, and then we will not have a show tomorrow. I'm giving my guys a three-day weekend while I am doing some traveling, but we wanted to do a pre-tape for you today. And I thought uh, we would do this with just sort of a recap of like four or five things that I just wanted to get to during the week that we couldn't get to. Just sort of the general insanity recap, uh, and then we will be back at our normal schedule on Monday. Before we do it, let's talk about Moinkbox real quick. Uh, I know you guys know, but some people don't know that 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese, and their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, yet you find it in your grocery aisle every day. There's a better way, guys, and I want to tell you about Moink. That is moo plus oink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon fillets and much more. Plus, you can cancel it at any time. There is nothing better than cooking their meats in my big green egg on a Friday evening. Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted, and they guarantee you'll say, oink, oink, I'm so happy I got moinked. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Ruben right now, and listeners of this show get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but only for a limited time. That's M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash Ruben, moinkbox.com slash Ruben. All right, let's get to it. General insanity recap. Uh, we're going to start with a clip of Bill Maher, but fear not, Bill, if you're watching today, I am not criticizing you. I actually think what you were doing uh, was pretty great. You had Andrew Yang on your show on Friday night, and people remember Andrew Yang. He ran as, uh, as a Democrat in the last election. Uh, the sort of non-woke liberal elite really loved him. I thought he was a perfectly nice guy, uh, but it was clear to me it really wasn't gonna go anywhere. His big thing was UBI, your universal basic income, basically meaning that the government would give literally everyone cash so that everyone would have a baseline to do what they wanted with that money. Uh, of course, the inherent problem with that is once you give everyone a certain amount, you're deflating the value of money, prices go up. Okay, fine, this is Economics 101. Uh, anyway, Yang went on uh, real time on Friday and Bill kind of handed it to him. It was sort of hilarious, actually. I mean, your big thing when you ran was UBI. Yep. Which is not a bowel problem. It sounds like it. <laughs> I always think like it. I know, it's, we had a branding it, thing. <laughs> it, yeah, universal basic income, right? Which is sort of what we did. Yeah. During COVID, okay? So where are you now? I, I mean, I see your, your, I don't get your third party because I read your website and it's a bunch of mush. <coughs> it, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying it's not like specific. It doesn't even mention this. And, and why start a third party, which is a long shot anyway, if you're not gonna be bold and. So I don't know exactly what 
Bill was going for there other than to just kind of take him out. But there's just something sort of funny about it because the non-woke liberals, and I would say that Andrew Yang is a non-woke liberal, Bill Maher is a non-woke liberal, they're sort of on the same side. And what they end up doing, as you guys know, is they always end up sort of saying the right things, but then getting people to vote the wrong way, meaning vote for Democrats. So I thought it was kind of nice there that Bill kind of just like smacked him around a little bit. Like UBI is just sort of a soft step Government giving money, meaning government taking money and then giving money to people. Everyone gets the same amount and then you can do what you want with it. All the reasons that economically that doesn't work, just Econ 101 for any of you that went to college or just Google basic economic theory. Um, But him smacking him around was just sort of interesting because I just don't think any of the sort of we're the nice liberal thing works anymore. So what, what Bill Maher is referring to there is that Andrew Yang is uh, running something called the Forward Party. We're not left, we're not right, we're forward. It's just more sort of meaningless stuff. And I will say, although I think Andrew Yang is a perfectly fine guy, he was once interviewed by the New York Times, you guys know uh, Mara Gay, she's come up on this show every now and again. Uh, She interviewed Andrew Yang and asked him why he did the white supremacist uh, Rubin Report show. She actually called it the Dave Rubin Show. And Yang didn't really defend me, so I have a little bit of a a little bit of an ax to grind over there. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting, but going from one interesting oddity of the media to another, actor Billy Porter. I did not know who this was until uh, we did a little check-in. Apparently he was on American Horror Story, a couple seasons of American Horror Story. Uh, he went on The View and he sat down with the shrews of The View and they went off on Ron DeSantis in a completely insane way. Enjoy. There's this war yeah. against trans people, which and is... And LGBTQ plus yeah, people yeah, and yeah. people who are othered. And cabaret people. And cabaret and people. It's a, like it's a circle crazy. of life. Yeah. You know, we've Why all, are they doing it? I, th- for power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is about power, and you could always trace it back to the money. You say that all the time. Yeah. Follow you know, the money. It's, it's follow the money, follow the power, power at any cost. It's very hypocritical. You know, the, the, <coughs> the leading cause of death in children are guns. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're guns. Yeah. I know it's the morning and I'm not supposed to be screaming, but they're guns. Yeah. Not you know, drag queens. Not drag queens. No. Leave us alone. <laughs> yes. You know, and it just, it's a distraction. It's a distraction on purpose. We don't know what to pay, we don't know what to pay attention to. All right. So I don't know if he considers himself or herself part of the LGBTQ plus community or whatever with the nail polish, whatever, sort of uh, irrelevant. but. Just to be clear, there is no war on LGBTQ people. Nobody's trying to arrest them. No one's trying to put them in jail. No one is saying that consenting adults can't live as they wish. Really, no one in any version of what happens in this country that is anything remotely close to mainstream or has anything to do with the legislative process in any state, no one's coming for anybody. No one's arresting trans people here in Florida. No one's arresting gay people. It's just crazy, but there's a war on trans people. That's what uh, he said and she agreed. There's a war on LGBTQ. Does it, what, what does, I know Q means queer, but what does that mean? That just means you're like, you're just like a little bit like this. You'll just kind of sleep with anyone. Okay. And then, uh, and then there's a war on cabaret. What? These people are genuinely insane. The View 
years from now, they should put the view in a time uh, capsule and the aliens will come down one day and they will open it up and they will watch the view and they'll be like, we better get out of here. <laughs> Nothing good is happening here. Uh, okay, let's just do one or two more for you before we get to the rubenreport.locals.com community Q&A. We got a big wide selection of questions for you today. Uh, if you did not see this, the Moderna uh, CEO was testifying uh, for Congress, for the Senate, and uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, libertarian, as you know, on my short list of sane people in government, uh, he basically destroyed the guy. This is, this is just an absolute destruction, and well, watch yourself. I also spoke with your president just last week, and he readily acknowledged in private that yes, there is an increased risk of myocarditis. The fact that you can't say it in public is quite disturbing. So the guy that Rand Paul is talking to there is the CEO of Moderna, Stefan Bansell. We'll get to some video of him in just a second. And basically Rand Paul is like, okay, you're the CEO, you're testifying here. I'm obviously not getting the truth to you, uh, but off the record in a private conversation, uh, the president of Moderna, he's actually laying out the goods. But if you wanna realize how deep these people are in on it, right? They force these vaccines on everybody. They had all these government organizations pressuring all of us to do these things. We now know the rates of myocarditis. We know all the vaccine injuries. And even if none of that had, had existed, even if this vaccine was perfect, they had no right to mandate it. Government had no right to force companies uh, to fire people and all of that stuff that, that you know all about. But watch this, here's Rand Paul asking Stefan Bansell how many times his kids have been vaccinated. He doesn't even know the answer. I'm not a clinician, I will have to discuss. You have children. I do. Have you vaccinated your children? I have. How many times? Three or four times. Three or four times. I mean, is that wild relative to everything that has happened over these last couple of years? You have the CEO of a major pharmaceutical company, really the number two company besides Pfizer as far as these mRNA vaccines. The, these companies have made hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, and have all sorts of contracts with all sorts of governments. They force this on everybody. He doesn't even know how many times off the top of his head he injected his kids with this stuff yet he was forcing you to inject your kids with it. And I don't know how old his kids are, and it's largely irrelevant actually, but it's like if his kids come down with one of those vaccine injuries, uh, and by the way, it may not be tomorrow, but in seven years, if one of them has Bell's palsy, or if one of them has myocarditis, or one of the other things, or just an imbalance, literally balance is becoming an issue for people, or a vision problem, or whatever it might be, it's like, man, you will only have to look in the mirror, and I hope that the cash that you made on the way was worth it. And, and uh, as Brock pointed out before, as we were doing the rundown, it's like, look, they can do all of these hearings and they do them often, right? This is what government does. Government investigates things. But until something happens to some of these people, until we get to the bottom of who at the government was forcing Twitter to censor people, and then we fire those people, or someone is held to account to some degree, or someone, like this man, are held to account and lose their job or whatever it might be. Think about a time we've lived in cancel culture for however many years now, five years of cancel culture. No one at Moderna has been fired. No one at, uh, at Pfizer has been fired. No one at, well, Twitter got, plenty of people at Twitter got fired, but that's only because Elon Musk bought the freaking thing. So we need some of these things to be held to an account 
Otherwise, we're basically just doing the show must go on. More show, more show, more show. So actually, in a few days, I'm going to DC for a couple of days. We're gonna meet about 100 of you guys from locals and, and do a tour of the Capitol and a bunch more. I'm gonna sit down with Rand Paul and that's gonna be one of the things I'm gonna ask him. Okay, and I've asked him this before, by the way, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna push him on it a bit more which is, okay, we can keep doing these hearings. Fauci can lie to you. You can talk to the you know, CEO of Moderna and he can give you a whole bunch of nonsense. And, but what is the point of all of it? What does it really get to other than some things get exposed and that's nice, right? It's nice to get a little closer to the truth, but what is the nuts and bolts uh, version of it on the other side? What actually happens? Or is there no other side? Is it just about the show? And then life goes on. Anyway, let's get to a rubenreport.locals.com community Q&A. Here we go. Uh, Deborah says, what are your thoughts on the possibility that Silicon Valley Bank was taken down intentionally? They love to create a crisis and then implement bad policy to save us from ourselves. Well, I don't know about intentional, meaning did the bankers at Silicon Valley intentionally give out all of these crazy loans and these risky loans with the hope that the bank would fail, knowing that they would get bailed out? Because if anyone's gonna pay the price on this, we know now it's not the depositors, it's not the companies that were putting money into the bank, they are getting bailed out, but it is some of the executives at the banks and things like that. So I don't know, meaning that they're gonna get fired, lose their jobs, it's gonna harm their resume, et cetera. So I don't know that it was intentional in that degree, but I would say at the macro level, it is quite possible that it's intentional to a certain extent, meaning when you have a machine in place, which is what we have right now, that says the FDIC will insure you for 250 grand. You've all seen that. I haven't been to a bank in a long time. Everyone does everything digital now, but I'm sure if you go to most bank tellers still at this point, there's that little gold and black sticker right there on the window, on that glass window. You're insured up to $250,000, meaning if this bank fails for whatever reason, because of economic conditions, because of poor choices, poor investments, too many risky options, et cetera, the government, it always says the full faith and credit of the United States government, which I would say is wavering at best right now, uh, they'll take care of it for the 250. Now, these companies that went to Silicon Valley Bank, it focused mostly on startups. And startups, especially tech startups, are crazily risky. As I've explained many times, and you guys know this, like anytime someone comes up with an app or a tech company, you're not gonna make money for a long, long time. Your goal is to get as many users on the platform. You want eyeballs on that platform, and then you figure out how to monetize from there. For those of you that have been with us, from the beginning with locals. That's how we started. We made no money. I put in money on my own and then I tried to get investors and we were running at a deficit for a long time. Eventually we found a way to partner up with Rumble and now things have really expanded in a, in a really spectacular way. I mean, Steven Crowder, who's basically the biggest live streamer out there at this point, maybe number two to Rogan. I mean, he's using locals and, and Rumble technology. It's freaking awesome. Um, but most of these companies fail. These guys were more focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion than they were on risk management. It turns out they only had a risk manager for about three months, but that's like the number one thing you would have at a bank because the whole purpose of a bank is we take money from you guys and we don't just leave it in the bank. We then invest it in a various series of ways so that we can make some money and you still will always have access to your money. But they pissed that money away and on top of all the economic conditions, by printing money that the, the Biden government did and inflation and everything else, it created a condition that they were gonna fail. So to fully answer your question, I think there's probably some level of a conspiracy here, uh, but it's right in front of us. And that conspiracy is that the government always gets bigger. So remember 2008, these banks are too big to fail, bail them out. And then what did we do? We made them even bigger. 
And now banks will just get bigger and bigger and bigger and the small guys eventually won't be able to compete and that's kind of the way they want us because they want us with less choices, whether it's economically or in any other way uh, that we wanna live. Grace says, what does the average school day look like for you and the Rubenite workers? We see you for about an hour. How does it all work out working from home until your uh, side of the studio, uh, until your side of the studio built? Uh, will you and the crew work there when it is built? As Locals Rumble grows, how hard, it, how hard will it be to move the crew out of your home now that you have the cute junior producers? Okay, there's a lot there. Uh, so first off, just on my day, I'm an early riser, I'm up at about 6.30 or so. I'm kind of doing my thing with the kids from about seven to about eight. That's usually when Phoenix and I are starting to text back and forth, figure out how the show is gonna look. Phoenix creates the, the full rundown. We kind of make sure that the shape of it is right and everything else. And I'm playing with the kids and doing some feedings, maybe a diaper change or two in the morning, something like that. Uh, David gets up a little bit later because he's with the kids most of the day. We try to take a walk if we can. So we got the double stroller and the dog and we're out there with the peacocks and the lizards and everything else. Uh, my whole crew, uh, Connor and now Brock is here and Daphne, everybody arrives usually about 9.30, 10 o'clock or so. We do a rundown of the show, which is really just, it's literally like the stories that we've got, the, the clips that I have to throw to but we, we don't rehearse the show in any way, meaning anything that I'm doing on this show just like now is just me telling you what I think for better or worse, but we have a, a basic rundown. Uh, and then after the show, you know, usually throughout the day, I'll have like, you know, a hit on Fox or a hit on Sky News Australia. I'm doing some stuff with them now or some Newsmax stuff or another podcast or whatever it is. Uh, so Connor is running uh, everything on the operations side of that. And he's also in here editing. Uh, Phoenix is working on other, you know, producing other segments and we've got a bunch of travel now. Brock literally just got here this week, moved to the free state of Florida this week. So here he's here now handling social media. Uh, Daphne, who's my assistant and also managing a lot of what goes on on the local side. Uh, she's helping us with house projects and now a bunch of baby things. Apparently babies, uh, you gotta be wary of stairs and pointy edges. So we're working on some things related to that and a fence around the pool and a whole bunch more. Uh, and everyone kind of goes, goes as they please. I always say to everybody, I don't mind if you do your work here, home, Starbucks, in the park, on the beach. I don't, as long as the work gets done, I don't care where anyone does it. I am not here to clock everybody and baby everybody. And I want everybody to enjoy their lives, which is why on this Friday, uh, you know, I'm just giving everybody the day off. It's like, we, we've been busting our butts. I'm traveling. It's okay. Let's have a three day weekend. And it's Connor's birthday. So everyone will be coming back here and I will be doing something with moink meat on the, uh, the big green egg. Uh, and that's it. Uh, Vinay says, if Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy, is Dave the gay face of homophobia? Ugh. You know, I, I just, I hate this, this LGBTQ. I have nothing to do with these people. I'm gay with one dude, that's it. And I got a couple other gay friends. Nobody's that impressed with the whole thing. Nobody cares, nobody cares. That's the thing, live your life. But I probably am the gay, gay face of homophobia, so there you go. Uh, James says, how do we counter the Democrats' privilege as it relates to the mainstream media? Democrats pull fast ones and the general mainstream media reaction is just being a politician. Republicans pull fast ones and there are statistics kept on the number of lies that they tell. Look, we cannot turn this thing around. I, I, I just wanna be clear about this. I, I, 
always debate this with you guys, right? This idea of how much attention do we have to pay to these people because they lie about things. Uh, sorry, I thought I lost my mic there. Uh, they lie about things and they hide things and they don't cover certain things and all of the stuff that you guys know. So how much attention do we have to pay to them? Because on one hand, they're liars and who wants to pay attention to them all day, like the view stuff. On the other hand, a certain amount of people are influenced by them. I think for those of you that are red-pilled, awake, whatever you want to say, it's just like we just have to acknowledge it. We just have to acknowledge it. There is no way that MSNBC will ever give Ron DeSantis a fair shake. A fair shake. There is no way that the New York Times will, or CNN, or Trump, or you know what I mean. Like you got it. And we have to once you acknowledge that, and then also realize that those guys are dinosaurs. You know, we're we're pulling huge numbers on our live streams now. Where by the end of the day, usually our our YouTube live stream has somewhere between one hundred fifty thousand and two hundred thousand views, and our Rumble live streams are getting pretty close to that too, around one hundred fifty. So let's say around three hundred fifty or four hundred thousand people watch the full show that we're doing here on a daily basis. That is way more than are watching MSNBC MSNBC shows on this uh, at this point. On top of the fact of all the clips that we put out and everything else, so we just got to keep going on. We just gotta keep building new things, telling people the truth, and don't expect that the things will turn around. They're in too deep, they're not gonna turn around. And I think once you realize that, it starts becoming empowering. Uh, and it also makes it so that you can make fun of them without being angry all the time. Because otherwise I'd be out of my freaking mind, right? I'd be watching these clips and I'd lose my freaking mind. So there you go. Uh, Solana says, how did you make out at the dermatologist? So as you guys know, uh, about two weeks ago, Justin with a snaggly Freddy Krueger style nail. I was letting him, you know, he likes like kind of grabbing my beard. I let it, he, well, I didn't let him, but he like got his finger in my eye, slashed the, the, the eyelid on my left eye. And uh, over the course of like a week and a half, it was getting like kind of weird and itchy and scaly. And I think it got infected probably from a little powder that we put on. So I'm not too shiny when we do the show, especially after I ate Shake Shack, there can be a little bit of shine to the skin from the oil, and uh, I went to the dermatologist yesterday. They looked at it. She actually said it was, it was quite an infection. She was like, whoa, this is, this is really something. 2.5% uh, hydrocortisone, uh, which I've used two or three times, and my eye, how does it look on camera right now? Pretty good? Like, it's, we're, we're getting there, we're getting there. It's a little dry and itchy still, but, but clearly that stuff works. You should not, a little, a little medical advice, which I don't give often on the Rubin Report, let's not go too crazy with the 2.5%. That's the prescription strength hydrocortisone because it can thin out the skin and you want skin on your eyeball. So uh, <laughs> clip that and <laughs> send it on the internet. Bonnie says, after seeing the clip of Fauci and Bowser being humiliated by the guy in DC, it makes me question even more why Republicans are not campaigning in these neighborhoods. It seems like the perfect follow-up for Republicans to make their case. It should be, uh, they should be there on a, the regular base, on a regular basis. Yeah, they may take some pushback, uh, but keep going back and making, and make conservative points. Why don't Republicans try to win these votes? You are 100% right, and I think that is going to start to change. You know, Donald Trump made tremendous inroads uh, within the black community, okay? Uh, it was double the amount of men, black men voted for Trump the second time than the first time. It's not a huge amount, right? It was still only like 7%, uh, but, it was, but it was a doubling, okay? And if you can double into a next election, a next election, then, you, then things start snowballing and really change. Um, the Republican message, or let's say the conservative message to the black community or to the Latino community, or if you don't even wanna make this about race, if we just say, let's just talk about 
more impoverished neighborhoods, right? Because forget the skin color of the people in that video from a couple of days ago. If you just were to go to an impoverished neighborhood in the outskirts of DC, and of course, Bowser is the mayor there and she doesn't seem to care about these people. What they would want to really communicate to them are the ideas of Thomas Sowell and Larry Elder and the ideas that the government has really sort of forced you into this. And then you could push some ideas about personal responsibility, uh, uh, personal responsibility and some Jordan Peterson type stuff, right? And that you have a way of getting out of this, but it's gonna be on you. I think that is a winning message. You know, yesterday we showed you the, the last clip of the show uh, was Jordan Peterson on Patrick Bet David's podcast talking about how the conservative message of personal responsibility really has value now. It, it, there is a way to do this that's not wagging your finger at those people, but saying, hey, you got a chance. Here's how you do it. I, I think that's a sellable message and it's way better than the hysteria coming out of the other side. But, you know, deprogramming people, it takes time. Mitch says, your Russell Brand interview reminded me of the old Rubin Report. Not that there's anything wrong with the content you're putting out now, but would love to hear more neutral, heterodox, and anti-establishment voices on the show. Do you think a more humanist libertarian ideal could be the big tent idea that could shift the populace towards a mass awakening? Well, first off, I, I'm totally fine hearing that. I, you know, I wish we could find some more heterodox people. I'll tell you this, we are going to DC next week. As I mentioned the other day, we, every, I think every Republican we reached out to, except for Mitch McConnell, said yes to us. Mitch McConnell, they said no, but he did offer to get us in touch with some other people, but everyone else said yes. We also reached out to about a dozen Democrats. We got no responses. We didn't even get no, right? We got no no's. We got zero responses. So in terms of heterodox thought, now look, we're gonna have some variants of thought with those Republicans that I'm gonna have on, and we're gonna do a few of them as panels, just to mix it up a little bit. But I gladly would have sat down with the Democrats. Look, I know I make fun of Democrats all the time and some of them have probably heard me making fun of them so they think I'm gonna be mean or something, but I don't think I'm known. Actually, I was criticized for it many times over the years for being uh, you know, not the hardest interviewer. So you guys just know if I sat down, even if I sat down with AOC, I really would treat her with respect within that. I would, I would challenge her on some of the ideas, uh, but it would not be done to just get you and destroy you. It really would not, but we didn't get one response. Uh, as for sort of a more uh, humanist approach and some of these libertarian ideas and how that could lead to the wider tent, you know, I think we're basically doing that. You know, one thing that I'm very proud of is that from what I can tell from communicating with you guys on Locals, but even looking at our Rumble comments and YouTube and the emails I get, our audience really is all over the place. We, we get evangelical Christians. We get hardcore libertarians. Uh, we, get, we get soccer moms and we get, you know, gay truckers. Like the audience really is all over the place geographically, uh, ethnically, sexuality-wise, et cetera, et cetera. And that is the big tent. In terms of voting, I think that means you kind of have to be a Republican. And that's really what I'm showing people, that there is a way that the Republican brand, which is banged up and, you know, it, it's, it's toxic to a lot of young people, but there is a way to fix that. I think that is really, well, here's the best way to answer it. I think that really is through the freedom message that is emanating first out of Florida here. So you could look at it this way. There's a, there's a freedom first version of all of this from Florida. The Texas version may be a little bit more traditionally conservative. Uh, I'm in the place with the one that I think is, is the widest tent and the, and the place that we can grab the most people and that's what I wanna keep pushing. Uh, Talway says, Dave, you commonly say you don't have to be a Republican, but you cannot be a Democrat. 
with ones like Blair, Tulsi, and so many others bailing on the Democrat party, but not yet willing to commit to the Republican party, is this a time we should be looking at the creation of a strong third party, or should we focus on ousting Biden and company out of Washington first? Look, uh, I, I've discussed this many times. To me, we just have to, this is an extension of the previous uh, question, you just have to widen what the Republican party is. We're in a two-party system, whether we like it or not. That isn't to say there can never be a third party. Trump may start a freaking third party if DeSantis gets the nomination. Like anything could happen. By the way, Trump gets a, starts a third party. Well, congratulations, now Democrats are in for sure because you split the Republican vote is what it is. This is always a debate, right? This is why a lot of uh, you know, old fashioned Republicans hate the Libertarian Party because the Libertarian Party, it, although it's done particularly poorly in the last election or two, uh, you know, it would get, you know, one or two percent and then the elections would always be so close and everyone would be like, see, it's those damn Libertarians, which I never subscribe to because it's like, no, you got to just do better. Uh, it's not the Libertarians fault for trying to hold on to some principles. Uh, but it is why I, I could not support the Libertarian candidate last time. And I also, uh, I obviously liked Trump and I wanted him to win. Um, a third party right now, I just don't think it's gonna work. I think the best thing that we can do is if you're more on the libertarian side, the individual right side of this and stay out of my life side of this, and then there's the, you know, let's say the more religious conservatives over here, figure out a way to be like, hey, do we both agree America's good? Yeah. Do you agree and live and let live? Yeah. Um, do we have some differences? And well, I don't wanna, as the libertarian, I don't wanna force you to marry anyone you want. And you're the religious person, as long as you don't force your views on me, we're gonna be okay to live in the same country. That's a rich place to work. That's really where I wanna keep focusing. And maybe down the road that changes into some third party thing, but I think that's the best way to get some victories actually, still at this point. Uh, Torrid says, I was wondering what Don Jr. thinks about you supporting DeSantis. Have you spoken with him? Has your friendship remained the same since you've changed your support from Trump to DeSantis? Well, you know, first off on that, as I've said many times, I still don't know if DeSantis is running. It obviously is looking like he is. I, clearly, I think he is the best, most competent person to jump in on this. So I make no bones about that. I'm not, I'm not pretending anything is that isn't or isn't that is. Uh, I like Junior a lot. I like Kimberly a lot. Kimberly Guilfoyle, uh, his wife. Um, you know, we were together having dinner the night that David and I met Trump for the first time, which you guys have all heard that story. Um, I haven't spoke to Junior about it specifically. The last time I saw Junior in person was, some of you were there for it, uh, was for the opening night of the Don't Burn This Country book tour, which we did in Palm Beach at the Improv over there, and he opened for me, and it, the, room, the room was electric. I mean, the freaking roof almost blew off the place. Uh, we've traded a couple texts since then. You know, I am going to do everything I can to make sure that this does not get personal or anything else. If Trump ends up the nominee and DeSantis remains my governor at the end, that will be just fine with me. It, I would be thrilled, actually. Uh, so hopefully we can keep hashing it out in an honest and fair way. And if you didn't see it, I was actually on Kimberly Guilfoyle's uh, show on Rumble a couple days ago, and she asked me about that. She's like, Dave, we're not really sure where you're at. You know, what's going on here? And I laid it out as honestly as I lay it out every day. And I said, I hope that not everyone's gonna go scorched earth on everybody. I said, I said, President Trump has a responsibility, I think, to make the case for Trump. And I don't think these names and, and the nonsense around DeSantis is working. So I think if I, I, I truly believe this, and, and I said Pollyannish earlier, I, maybe this is a bit Pollyannish of me, but like, I think if I just tell you what I think and I do it honestly, 
people, people can get past some of the political stuff. And I have no doubt that, that Don Jr., no, I know this for sure, not no doubt, that he lost many friends as his dad got into politics, right? Because people, people that knew him as a decent guy were suddenly like, oh my God, your dad's Hitler. So I don't think Don would just be walking away from friends because of you know, a slight political difference. Mad says, is it true that the real reason for Jen Psaki's hate for Trump is that she is orange man's long lost daughter, the new narrative for the week. She has become quite orange. It is always funny to me, these people that you see like the human version of them and that's what you sort of got with her. You know, she'd always be wearing a fancy, very expensive dress and a certain degree of makeup when she was doing those White House press briefings. But then they put you on TV and they whack you with powder and they get the, all this stuff on you and the redness and the whatever. And then they clearly, you know, they either gave her an eye lift or they do some kind of, they suck your face back or they inject you with something else. And everyone ends up looking like one of these women on The View that look like they're wearing masks of themselves. Uh, so is it possible because she has become very orange since she is on MSNBC that she's Donald Trump's long lost daughter. Wouldn't that just be the perfect ending to all of this? We just find out all of these people are inbred and related and it's time to pack it up and go home, everybody. Uh, Buttercup says, prosecuting Trump only serves to deliberately rile up the Trump base, possibly helping him win the GOP primary. I believe it could be possible that the Democrats are actually, yes, afraid of running DeSantis so if they can ensure a presidential race against Trump, they may be able to repeat the 2020 upset. I agree with this. And I have said for, for how many months now, DeSantis is the real threat. He is competent. He is doing many of the Trump or Trump-like policies. He is running a state that is running like a perfectly beautiful sound machine right now. He's taking the challenges on in the right way. He's fighting the media appropriately. He's not backing down to the woke. We now have this 20 state alliance fighting ESG. Like he's doing all of the right stuff and has great people around him. They beat Trump already. They beat Trump already. Whether you believe it was legit or not, whether Trump believes it was legit or not. But the question is, can Trump bring, let's say you believe that what they told us is true, that Joe Biden got 81 million votes and Donald Trump got 75 million. We basically know that's Trump's ceiling. Where could possibly, where could you possibly get new Trump voters from? But a whole bunch of people may be tired of it and they might drop out. The other issue with Trump is that because he is so hated, a certain amount of people just vote because they hate him. So now you get more people voting against him and probably less people voting for him. DeSantis clearly can get people to change sides, right? We know, we know it because he won by 20 points here, a million and a half votes here in Florida after his last victory was only about 30,000 votes, less than 1%, and then he wins by 20%. So, and also you just have to look at the migration. People keep coming here. No one is leaving, everyone's coming, everyone's leaving California, no one's going to California. That, that's the simplest version of all of this. Uh, so I do think there is something to that. I think you're gonna see this more and more. The mainstream media will slowly be propping up Trump more because they'd rather go against Trump. And Trump is also much better for clicks, right? Trump is good for clicks and views. So they would rather have Trump so they'll get their cash on clicks and views. And then at the same time, they'll get a weaker candidate and a guy who will always talk to them rather than DeSantis who won't talk to them, isn't as good for clicks and views and is actually the real threat because he can get stuff done. Uh, Amy says, I'm so excited you're coming to Green Bay. I may have just landed right now while I'm saying this. It's incredible what's going on here with time shift. 
which is your hometown. Uh, I would like to know what size onesie or t-shirt your two boys are wearing so I can gift them a Green Bay Packers shirt. Well, that's very sweet. I guess you're coming to my event tonight at uh, University of Wisconsin. I will gladly say hello to you. I think we're doing, a, there's a private event, I think beforehand, and they, they just get me doing stuff. And I go up there, try to give a different speech each time. The kids, so Justin is now seven months and Luke is uh, five months. Uh, but they're wearing bigger stuff. But these guys are huge. They're going to be freaking linebackers or NBA centers. Uh, so they're really, they're already into like nine to 12 month stuff. Ba Justin for sure. And, and Luke is on his way. And I, uh, I appreciate the kindness of strangers. I do. Just like Blanche Dubois. Uh, Pratt says, since you have made many, many comments about Saki and cringe and joy less and Sonny and Whoopi, have you ever received comments back from them? No, and you know, it's kind of unfortunate. Whoopi and I actually had a, had a personal connection through a cousin of mine. I don't wanna get into the specifics of it, uh, but we had traded some messages years ago. This was right when she was, I think, uh, yeah, right when she had got on The View and she was very, very different at the time. And Joy, Joy and I used to live two blocks away from each other on the Upper West Side. I used to see her and her husband often. We'd say hi, we'd talk about stand-up. Uh, they'd, they'd pet my dog like, we, you know, we were more like-minded at the time, but, but certainly she wasn't like this insane thing. So watching some of these people just go completely bananas, it's so weird. And then, you know, there's Anna Navarro, who I keep telling you guys, I'm told I live just like a couple blocks from. And it's like, I will see her at some restaurant one day and I will have to say something, right? Not to, not to make a, a, a scandal out of it, not to throw a freaking drink on her or anything, but just like say something, I will have to. Uh, but I no, I haven't heard from any of those people. Um, but I've heard from other people that there's another set of people, none of whom you've mentioned, not view people that, that don't like me that I talk about, but what are you gonna do? I didn't get into this, make friends. I, I have friends. My best friend on, in the, on this planet is my buddy, John, who I met literally the first day at kindergarten 41 years ago. Uh, so I, I've got my friends already. So some of the character, the cast of characters either that I talk about or that, you know, that, that are on the show or whatever, some of them may come and go, but you know, Jordan Peterson and his wife were here for dinner two nights ago. And, and, you know, we've become, you know, incredibly close and I've become very incredibly close with Dennis and some other people. Um, but you know, if you're going to do this thing and you're going to try to do it like somewhat honestly, and you're going to talk about people, not everyone's going to love you. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, Ventoso says, I know you get backlash for some of your off the cuff comments and rants, but that's what makes you, you, the comedy in it all. If we can't laugh at this crappy world, oh wait, I meant crazy, same thing, right? I say, keep the random, sometimes inappropriate comments and rants coming. What say you, Dave? There's no other way I can do it. There really is no other way I can do it. Every now and again, I'll, I'll let one slide or I'll drop it or I'll pause, or sometimes I really do think that I feel this when I'm doing the show that you guys know what I'm thinking. I don't always have to say absolutely everything. I can do a little bit with a look or a glance or I can you know, side talk with one of my guys here in studio. Uh, but every now and again, I have to drop the F-bomb. I have to say something kind of ridiculous because otherwise you go crazy. Like how can you cover cringe? Cur no, that's a, that, cringe is good. Not just cringe, Jean-Pierre, cringe. Jean-Pierre, like how can you cover her every day and, and not occasionally drop an F-bomb or make an off-color remark or any of this endless lunacy? Like you'd go nuts or, or you just come off as deeply inauthentic, right? So if you watch CNN and they're covering the same exact things that I'm covering, but Anderson Cooper has to sit there and pretend that Joe Biden's slurring his words and walking off stage the wrong way and shaking hands with the air and all of those things, that none of those things happened or that none of them are odd, 
you end up being a robot more than a person, and I'm more person than robot. On that note, if you're at the University of Wisconsin, I look forward to seeing you tonight. Uh, we have no show tomorrow, three-day weekend for the team, although we are having a birthday dinner. What do you want for dinner? I will cook you whatever meat. What cut do you want? You want meat? What cut? Filet mignon it is. Filet mignon for Connor and the fine team on his 31st birthday. You're catching up with me, man. Getting old, getting old. Uh, part two of my interview with Nikki Haley is up on YouTube and Rumble. Full things up over on Locals ad free. We leave you of uh, we leave you with a cold close of former Vice President Mike Pence, and we will see everybody on Monday. Adios. I know we all we all got our doubts about the last election, and I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities, and I promise you, come this Wednesday. We'll have our day in Congress. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.